welcome into episode 82 of the Canuck Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Pete is coming to you live from his mom's basement today. I'm over in Victoria, and this is 16-year-old Pete today, back in mom's basement, with the headphones on, recording, telling everyone to be quiet, because he's trying to do important stuff. Hey, Mom! The meatloaf! We want it now! The meatloaf! Ma, the meatloaf! Fuck! <laughs> well, I hope it's at least a little bit cooler in the basement for you. Yeah, it's pretty nice, actually. This is a good temperature. Victoria is always a little bit cooler and windier, but uh, yeah, it's nice to be home. And as you know, I'm, I poorly planned a camping trip this weekend, so I'm going to be out of cell range for a, a lot of it and missing out on this great meetup that a bunch of you guys are doing as well. Yeah, this uh, Friday for the... NHL entry draft, uh, myself and Leaf, Roland and Jabbo uh, and Dagger uh, and Juggy are all going to be meeting at the Shark Club uh, just off of Georgia there. Uh, so yeah, looking forward to that. Should be an exciting night uh, full of uh, exciting picks for the Canucks and other teams in the NHL. Uh, well, I got to take this opportunity to go to the west coast and i'm going to try and get into some sort of cell range during the day so i can see what's up i may have to run into town or something but uh i'm definitely not going to be able to make it through friday without knowing who the canucks picked and then tuning in either later saturday or sunday to find out the rest of the squad but you know like i I do this every year with day two of the draft is like I don't really know the players taken on day two and then as the picks come in I go and I scramble through and I'm like trying to justify how this guy was a steal in every position or oh what a great pick high value every pick you know like all of a sudden all these guys I've never heard of are are like elite b-level prospects for the Canucks yeah I mean I had heard a perfect example of this was the draft that you and I attended in person uh, the Nils Hoglander pick. And, you know, I knew he was sort of projected as like a late first round pick. And then after the first round was over, I went home and I was quickly going through like hockey DB and all the best players available. And Hoglander was at the top of many lists and he was the guy. And I know you said the same thing that morning heading into round two. You're like, man, I really hope Hoglander's there for the Canucks. I know he was as high as a believe an early 20s to a late teens pick for on some scouts boards um but i think most projections had him as uh a late first early second and yeah he was a guy i didn't know a ton about heading into that draft but i tell you what after day one was done and the canucks had i think it was the 34th pick or something like that i was doing my research on the best players available and hoglander was definitely on the board for me I think it was a little later. I think it was around 38th or so. But it's it's a good point is how when after day one of the draft, when you look at the guys who like Sam Cosentino or Craig Button or people have as first rounders who don't get selected, and it happens every year, and you're there kind of drooling and thinking, wow, this guy could be available for the team at number 40 this year and thinking about how high value it is. You get a little bit of knowledge with that guy, but it's after that it's the the picks after that where i really don't know and i mean the canucks don't have a third or a fourth right so there's gonna be a a big gap there until we find out anyone else and i'm i'm researching those guys and being like oh what a great value pick this is at number 200 yeah i mean they do have two fifths and two sixths round picks and who knows a trade could be made tomorrow or at the draft um, once the league can start negotiating with one another again and they're not only able to trade with or negotiate with Seattle like we currently are seeing. Uh, I do wonder, there's still lots of speculation around the Canucks about them trying to move guys like Holtby, guys like Schmidt. Uh, And I also wonder if there's a player they like in the fourth round, if they move two of those fifth round picks to try to jump up to get a guy that they really like at the somewhere in the fourth round i mean that's always a possibility as well we really haven't seen benning trade up uh late in rounds we've generally seen him trade back which i don't have a big issue with i know you're a giant seahawks fan pete and that's like pete carroll's mo right they always trade out of the first round and especially in the nfl where i think you know depth is so key i I wouldn't be surprised if the canucks did that um but i I would also hope that if there's a guy they really 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 like that they wouldn't be shy to kind of jump up to get him if they've got the assets to do it 
Well, it's a wide open draft this year, as everyone knows, with guys not getting to play nearly as much. There could be gems in every round if if your scouts are on it. Um, And we're going to get into the draft a little bit later as well on this episode. We're going to do our predictions with who we think the Canucks are going to take. We're recording this while Seattle is doing this extremely prolonged draft show as well we were going to record after but since everyone already knows all the picks uh, we we just decided to hit record so we got that going on of course we're going to talk about jason dickinson and we'll touch on a few other little things around the league as well Uh, also you can follow us on twitter i'm at pete underscore gas and of course the podcast is at canuck speak Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And Pete and I are putting together this playlist on Spotify. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. Be sure to give that a follow. Give it a listen on Spotify. There's some really groovy tracks on there. And there'll be another one added at the end of this episode. First off, though, before we really get into everything on the ice uh, and, and off the ice with what we're seeing with Seattle here, Wanted to give a huge shout out to Luke Prokop of the National Predators for being the first openly gay professional hockey player. Uh, this has been a long time coming. We know that there has been gay players that have come through the league before, uh, but this is finally having someone who's what, 19, 20 years old coming out and doing this. A third round pick just signed his first professional deal. And what's also I think is really cool is the amount of support that players and organizations and the league have given to this guy as well it's it's a pretty historic moment he's he's now become a trailblazer for this and one day maybe this isn't going to be a big story uh but this week it was and i think it's again it's really cool that it's happened but it's it's also really cool how the nhl and the organizations and the players and the fans have all rallied around this kid as well yeah, it's a great story, and I'm glad that Luke, like you said, is you know become a trailblazer, and he was brave enough to admit his truth to the world and to his teammates. And I think you know the support that he got on social media from other players, from other teams and organizations, it was all very positive. And you hit the nail on the head, Pete. You know, let's hope at one point. In the future, this just won't be a story anymore. This just will be, you know, a nothing story. And it just, that person is gay, not a big deal. Who cares? They're a hell of a hockey player, a hell of a human being, and they can be a teammate of mine any day of the week. And also another guy that came out uh, this year as well was NFL football player Carl Nassib uh, of the I guess the Vegas Raiders now. That's weird to say. Um, and, you know, that's another thing, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that is. I think opened up the floodgates for this. And, you know, I, I'm not saying Luke was or wasn't inspired by what uh, Carl Nassib did earlier in the year, but I'm sure that made him feel a little bit more comfortable with being able to say his truth publicly. It's certainly got to help, right? I mean, it's 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 definitely breaking down barriers. And I, I think, you know, I think like back to, well, I'm going to terribly date myself here, but like 25, 30 years ago in high school and how different it was back then. I remember when like there was a gay character on 90210 and it was, it was a big deal. And now we're starting to see it more and more in professional sports. We're starting to see leagues be aware of it. And I think, uh, I think leagues are also becoming aware of just the traditional kind of fan base is what they thought and how it's, it's not just, you know, all a bunch of white dudes up in Canada sitting there watching hockey and that the LBGTQ plus community is interested in this game. Like I've got a lot of gay friends in, in Vancouver who love hockey. And I think that it's opened their eyes that, you know, this is also, this is a part of the game and just by the odds with how many players you have, there are gay players and there always has been gay players. So it is really cool to see one, finally out there doing it. Um, I, I loved seeing all the support, especially from some of his Nashville teammates that he got, uh, the organization. I really liked how organizations in the league were shutting down people in the comments and just like, you know what, we're we're going all in. If you're saying anything bad about this, we're, we're coming at you. So I, I thought that was really cool and really hope that, like like we said, this isn't a big deal one day, but it is a big deal right now to have this. It's in, It's really cool to see. Yeah, I mean, it's about inclusivity, right? And we're seeing more and more non-traditional hockey fans, whatever the fuck that even means. But I just mean, you know, hockey is growing, Mm -hmm. and I know it still is 
in the dark ages in some areas and it's still not completely there but it is changing and we are seeing you know more voices from female fans more voices from uh gay fans ethnic fans and it's great to see and you know i I think in vancouver we've always had a very strong uh ethnic fan base in vancouver um you you know you think of how big uh the fan base is in the South Asian community is here in Vancouver. It's huge and it's great to see. And it's nice to see that the face of the NHL fans is changing to be more in line with what society and representation is in day to day life. And that players are feeling more, com- feeling more comfortable to show who they really are publicly. Luke Prokop, you're always welcome into the speakeasy. Have a drink, chat hockey, watch a game. Uh, Wish you all the best in Nashville, except when you're playing against Vancouver, of course. Uh, But we here at the speakeasy, we're proud of you, buddy. Let's move on to what is happening with the Canucks. The big news, of course, this week is the Jason Dickinson trade acquired from Dallas before the expansion roster freeze for a third-round pick. Uh, Personally, I love this trade, and this seems to be one that most Canuck fans agree on and as, and was a good trade. The only negatives I've seen some people be like, well, now this exposes Cole Lind, who it looks like is officially going to Seattle. But Dickinson, for me, uh, is is a guy that I, I've liked. I, I remember he's one of those guys that always seems to play the Canucks hard. He was kind of everywhere you know, when the Canucks got to play Dallas, whenever that feels like like years ago now um but one of the things i really liked about dickinson as well is he's a, a character guy he was one of the four people in the bubble that stood up uh, alongside canucks captain bo horvat and in the blm movement and i lo- i didn't know much about him until that point and i started paying more attention to him and uh He's a very versatile player. Uh, I think he's going to fit really well into that 3C role. He's not an offensive guy. But anyways, before I kind of go off on my tangents, Doug, do you like this trade as well? Yeah, I do. I I think you hit some really key points there, Pete. Dickinson definitely seems like he's a character guy. Um, his support in the bubble, like you said, for the BLM movement uh, sent shockwaves across America and North America as a whole as, you know, the players and athletes stepping up and saying, you know, enough is enough. And he was also one of the players that took a knee at center ice um, in the game. I believe it was against the Dallas Stars and Vegas Golden Knights. He was one of the players along with uh, Tyler Sagan, Robin Leonard, and um, Ryan Reeves. Ryan Reeves, that's it. All four of them. Yeah, all four of them took a knee at center ice, uh, and I believe that's also when Matt Dumba made his little speech there, which was really powerful as well. So he definitely seems like he's a character guy. The Canucks gave up a third-round pick, which I think, you know what, that's a reasonable pick and a reasonable asset to lose to take advantage of a team that was going to lose a good player for nothing. You're always going to be giving up a pick to be able to take advantage of one of these teams that were in expansion draft hell and i kudos to jim benning and the rest of the management group for being able to pounce on a player like dickinson and you know what looks to be a really solid addition to this team it should also level off some of the hard minutes bo horvats had to play against top line and allow him to maybe open up his offensive game a little bit better as well that's a really good point about horvat and that's something that i've thought as well is horvat has offensive potential and well not potential he does have offense in his game I mean look at how his skating has improved and look at the bubble and what he did in the bubble in and he had some beauty goals in that St. Louis series but Horvat has offense in his game and getting him out of that tough minute matchup and putting Dickinson who has amazing defensive analytic numbers as well and using Dickinson more in that role as opposed to Bo Horvat I think that's going to change a lot of the complexion of this team because you know I've long called for how we need more offense. We need to spread out the offense. We need a top nine instead of a top six. But when half of our top six is getting used in a defensive role, that also hurts it. So you're going to have a more offensively minded top six. I think Bo is going to love that. And also the age of Dickinson. He's he's three months younger than Bo Horvat, and he fits in with this core, right? Like I think you've been bringing in guys in this bottom six center roles like Sutter and Beagle who are mentoring these guys. Well, we're, we're past that now, right? Like, I mean, 
these guys have been in the league for a long time. Horvat is now the guy who can mentor other people, but now you're bringing in a guy like Dickinson who fits right in there as well. It's the right age bracket, especially when all these bad contracts come off the books next year and there's freedom to actually go out and kind of maybe pick a couple guys off uh, in free agency. But um, for me, I, I think those are the two biggest things. It's the right age of a guy to bring in for once into this kind of bottom six core and taking those heavy minutes off of Bo Horvat as well so we can see some more offense from him. Yeah, and he's an RFA, so the Canucks still need to come to some kind of terms on a contract with him. I believe the qualifying offer is $2.4 million, I believe. You might want to fact check me there, Pete. Um, <laughs> but even there, like I think you know, if you can get this guy under contract for three, four years, he's a guy that doesn't seem like at this point he has high offensive upside who knows though if he's given more of a offensive role in Vancouver and perhaps he gets second unit power play minutes here there is a little bit of offense that he could unlock um, but that being said even if he's not that guy he's a guy that potentially could fall back into a fourth line center in the next two three years and be your legit shutdown fourth line center especially when guys like Beagle become off the books Cap Friendly is telling me that uh, Jason Dickinson is a $1.6 million qualifying offer. So that's that's pretty good as well. I mean, obviously, I think he's going to get more than that. But I wonder if uh, we'll see something uh, akin to Brandon Tanev, who just got picked up by the crack in, in some sort of longer-term deal like that. I wonder if the Canucks are looking at something. Uh, just with Dickinson's age, I mean... It, I think three years is kind of the minimum you're going to sign this guy. But I wonder if they see something and, and go a little bit more long-term and give this guy some term in his deal. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I, I Like you said, he's the right age. I think he fits in with this young core. Him and Horvat know each other from their time playing against each other in the OHL. I believe Dickinson played for the Guelph Storm, I believe. Um, I'm just pulling out random facts here. Who knows if I'm right or wrong? I'm pretty sure he played for the Guelph Storm, though. <laughs> um but yeah, so they do know each other from their days in the OHL. And like I said, I think he said he's excited to come to Vancouver. I believe it was Thomas Drance did an interview post-trade. And Dickinson said he was really excited to come to Vancouver. He's actually a Canucks fan, even though he's a Ontario boy. He was cheering for the Canucks circa 2011 against the Boston Bruins because he's a massive, massive Ryan Kessler fan fashions his game to be a little bit like Kessler and he also has great respect and uh, is a big fan of the Sedins as well you are right this time about Dickinson it was the Guelph Storm and it was the same draft year as Bo Horvat as well and they were both first rounders Dickinson is kind of one of those guys who um, in, in a way like kind of another guy who went that year about Terry Nikushkin who is an offensive player who's remodeled his game to be able to stick around in the NHL. Um, I, I, I really like everything I've seen so far, and I think Canucks fans are going to like this too, and it is a nice change into the the forward core and down the middle. I mean, Brandon Sutter is not coming back, and for me, this is a, a really good upgrade. When you dive into the analytical numbers and the defensive game, this is a huge upgrade there, and then you get the offensive upside by using Horvat in a, in a different role from what we've seen as well. And that's one thing that this team definitely has needed to improve on heading into next year it's their defensive play and just their defensive structure and that starts with the guys you're able to put on the ice and Dickinson seems like he has a really good understanding of defensive structure and defensive tactics and I look forward to seeing him in a penalty killing role I actually I'm really excited to see a third line of potentially him Mott and Pod Colson I think that could actually be a a pretty decent energy line and there's lots of rumors that the Canucks could and may add another top six forward and maybe that pushes a guy like Pearson down to the third line and even a third line of Pearson Dickinson and Pod Colson I think has some potential as well I've seen that Mott Dickinson, Pod Colson, third line thrown out there. And I, I really like that as well. I think that's a really interesting line. And I do think the Canucks have some wiggle room to maybe bring in another forward as well. Uh, you, you mentioned the Canucks in their defensive game. Um, we haven't actually chatted about this much this week ourselves, but there's a lot of rumblings about what is going on with the Canucks blue line. The Canucks weren't able to bring in a defenseman to before the the roster freeze, which is something that I was really pushing for, and I know a lot of Canucks fans were pushing for. Um, as we see Seattle's roster unfold more, they do have a lot of defensemen, so maybe there's some opportunities there. Um, Edler and Hamannick, we don't really know what's going on with those guys at the moment. So at the, what do you think is going to happen here with the blue line? Do you have any ideas? 
Well, I mean, my idea went out the window this morning when uh, I believe it was Frank Saravelli was the first to report it. Yeah, before he started leaking the majority of the Kraken roster hours before the actual expansion draft. And that was a guy I was hoping the Canucks would be in on was Adam Larson. And you see what they ended up signing him for, a four-year, $4 million deal. I, I feel like that's a steal for a guy like Adam Larson at this point in his career. And... Yeah, I mean, it sucks that the Canucks didn't get an opportunity to at least try to negotiate him. Sounds like uh, the Oilers, or sorry, pardon me, the Kraken picked Larson because he was a UFA. So they actually picked him in the expansion draft, negotiated their rights uh, to sign him as a UFA. And yeah, came to terms with him. So he's a guy that's off the board. There are still some good, I think, unrestricted free agents available to the Canucks. Who knows how much they're going to cost? I do actually think the Larson deal probably hurt a lot of these pending UFAs. I look at a guy like Brandon Montour, who's a guy that was probably expecting to get upwards of five mil. Can he get that now that you get a guy like Larson signing for four? Uh, there's Yanni Hockenpah or Hackenpah, who I really like out of Carolina. He's a guy that I, I, if I'm the Canucks, I'd be checking in on. And then another guy that I think a lot of Canucks fans like, and who knows what it would cost to get him, is a Jake McCabe. Yeah, those are all uh, great names to check, uh, check out there. Um, yeah, the Larson one, again, I, I feel like he probably could have gotten more too. And this seems like a case of a guy who wanted specifically to go to Seattle and they and they use that UFA picks as well to bring in Dreger in goal and I believe also with uh, Jamie Alexiak as well I believe they have a deal with Alexiak in place uh, once they they picked him so using those UFA spots and getting the rights uh, before anyone else does um I, again, I wish, you know, the left side is still unclear what happens. If you if Edler doesn't come back, you need to bring in somebody, I think. I don't see the Canucks really being comfortable with starting Hughes, Rathbone, and Yolevi on the left side. Whether Hamannick comes back, you know, I, I'd welcome Hamannick back. But that right side, man, that's still the thing. And then, of course, Nate Schmidt. Like, what, what happens with Nate Schmidt? Yeah, I think Nate Schmidt's probably the biggest domino to fall for the Canucks. There's lots of talk around Holtby. But I think whatever happens with Nate Schmidt and what they try to parlay him as an asset into, whether that's another defenseman who maybe plays the right side or they're looking to add another top six forward. There's lots of reports that the Canucks are really trying to add more forward depth and add more like a another top six guy. I know Jaden Schwartz's name has come up. He's a UFA. So if they're trading a guy like Nate Schmidt, they could be just trying to clear cap space to go out and sign a, a guy like Jaden Schwartz. Who knows? I also think that, you know, depending on how free agency goes for the Canucks, if you don't find a suitor to take on Nate Schmidt, maybe you move Schmidt to the left side. And so you have Hugh Schmidt and Rathbone on the left side. You have Yulevi as your seventh defenseman and then on the right side you hopefully can re-sign a guy like Hamannick and maybe you're able to sign one of those free agents I brought up in Brennan Montour, Jake McCabe or Yanni Hockenpah and that kind of is your top 6D. Yeah I like that you know I don't think a lot of people have thought about what about if you move Schmidt to the left side, we've always just assumed that Schmidt's a left side D who plays the right side. But what if you did that? What if you move Schmidt over to the left side and you brought in someone who could specifically play, especially with Quinn Hughes? Because um, I edited an article for um, uh, the Area 51 site this week. Uh, a friend of the show, Ray Hat, did about Adam Larson um, and uh, putting him on there. And I know a lot of Canucks fans uh, really wanted Larson in there and how he would have been a good fit and just a little bit older uh, than the age range a lot of the guys are, but I still think it, it would have been a right, nice fit. Moving Schmidt to the left side is an interesting one, but I do think there is some value as well uh, to be looked at if you, you know, just hypothetically, what if you flipped Nate Schmidt to Seattle for a guy like Jeremy Lozon, um, who can play, who also can play both sides, but is is five, six years younger than, than Nate Schmidt and at a lesser cap hit. And that frees you up some, some more money to maybe go out for a guy like McCabe or Hockenpah on the right side as well. So I, I would really, and I know this is something we've said on this show before, I'd love to see the team get creative with what they're doing, but we haven't seen a lot of that in the past, right? And so um, it, there's a lot of question marks. I do think the Nate Schmidt decision is the first one. Well, is it though? I mean, free agency's opening here. Maybe Alex Edler is the first one. Once Edler goes, maybe that's going to trigger it. And uh, same with Travis Hamannick. What if, what if day one of free agency, both those guys leave? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, right? Like, I, I think if both those guys leave, you're essentially needing, you know, unless you're able to trade Schmidt for another defenseman, you, you know, you're looking for three defensemen to fill out your roster next year in free agency. And I think that's going to be a really hard thing to do. Um, just given the Canucks cap restraints and, you know, there isn't a lot of major names out there. There's still some really good players, but a lot of those really good players, the Canucks are priced out of, like, they're not going to get a guy like Dougie Hamilton, obviously. Uh, it is interesting because I, I, I agree with what you said that Seattle did draft, again, the leaked roster and we're seeing in live time, the majority of those picks, if not all of those picks actually coming true. But the Kraken did draft a lot of defensemen. There's a lot of really good defensemen. Plus, they signed guys like Adam Larson and Jamie Alexiak to these uh, contracts as well. Uh, there's a guy who I've liked that I was hoping the Canucks could maybe make a, a move for prior to the expansion draft in uh, Dunn, uh, St. Louis prospect who, uh, well, not a prospect, but defenseman. Uh, maybe he's a guy that the Canucks can work a deal out with the Kraken to acquire. I don't know. Uh, I do think there is some there is some talent out there. Uh, obviously, another guy that I think is a low risk, but he does have a big ticket heading into this next season. But he's a UFA after that, so I don't think you'd have to give up an arm and a leg to acquire him. And I know he's had some struggles in the defensive zone, but a guy like Rasmus Ristolainen out of Buffalo, he's a guy that I've mentioned on this podcast a couple, couple of times that I think could be a decent um, a decent target. Considering he's UFA, he I think he's making just over five million. Um, but is he the perfect defensive partner for Quinn Hughes? No, you needed a guy like Adam Larson. I do think Travis Hamonic, if you can get him on a reasonable deal, can fill that role. Um, and then I also think a guy like Brandon Montour could fill that role uh, and play with Quinn Hughes if need be. But yeah, the defense is going to be the biggest question for the Canucks heading into next season. And Jim Benning said this to the public before and to the fan base, he says, we don't have all the information. So maybe in their minds, they've already contacted, even though you're not meant to, but I'm sure they've contacted certain play, pending players, agents, and just said, hey, we would like to have a conversation come free agency with your client. Who knows? It's going to be interesting with Seattle because they've loaded up on defensemen and they, we know we're losing Cole Lind. I mean, assuming that that's official, which every like you said, every pick is, and we're re- recording this while the the expansion draft is going on. And and Doug, I also got to apologize for the crappy Wi-Fi connection in my mom's basement. And so apologies as well to all the listeners out there if things go a little bit squirrely. Uh, I blame mom and her ability to live in the the house that I grew up in, which in the router I think is on the other side. So I, I do apologize, <laughs> but. What what I what's going to be interesting is okay so let's what is it like twelve fourteen defensemen whatever you have you're not going to carry all those guys and see and when Vegas came in they trade they drafted a bunch of guys that they immediately traded away for for more assets so Seattle is going to sell off some of these guys and a guy like Cole Lind if he's not good enough to make their roster he's going to like a lot of these guys got to clear waivers go to go on down and so i know that some of these selections like like let's let's talk a little bit more about this seattle team and how it's shaped up because for me there's surprises all over the place like uh, uh, some of these guys i'm like you you've drafted who instead of who like you you passed on Jake Bean and Max Domi who who i thought were two guys in particular that would 100% go uh, it, it, they're going to have all these options uh, of players that they they need to, in some cases, move up. But they also have guys that they think are destined to the minors. And they're also going to have 30 million plus in cap space they can play around with, which for me begs a question, like, is there some sort of option with Braden Holtby there? Is there Holtby to somewhere else? But what do you think is, is going on with Seattle here? Like, I, I mean, it's a lot to absorb all in one day, but what do you think their, their MO here is? Are they going to go big game hunting and free agency? Are they going to take on some dead weight in salaries? Like, hello, that would help us out. Like, what do you think is their primary goal here? Well, one thing I do think that most of us aren't privy to is some of the side deals. And I do think like you brought up a guy like Jake Bean, who's a young player, plays the right side. He was a high draft pick. Ron Francis actually was the GM of Carolina when he was selected. Uh, so I almost wonder if there was a side deal between Carolina and Seattle for them not to take a guy like Jake Bean. Uh, 
Yeah, there's rumors out there that they could be on a guy like Gabe Landeskog in free agency. Um, I would be a little bit surprised by that. I would assume Landeskog is a guy that would probably want to go and try to win a Stanley Cup at this point in his career. But this is also probably his last big cash in as far as a contract goes so perhaps he just wants to cash in and then maybe later on he can try to go for that stanley cup it it is interesting we did hear ron francis say to the media that he thinks salary cap space is extremely important and he doesn't want to you know not use that as an asset for the team so i am interested to see what they do and where they go i mean obviously ovechkin's a ufa i don't think ovechkin's going anywhere though there's no indication that uh, the relationship between Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals is not well and that he isn't intending to resign there. But who knows? Anything could happen. Yeah, the, the way this Kraken team is getting built is they're just above the required league minimum for salaries uh, next year. So they've got all this cap space. And uh, it's really intriguing. Uh, you know, they've had op- opportunities there to take a guy like Tarasenko or Carey Price, and and they didn't. And uh, Landis Gog and Ovechkin, of course, exposed, but UFAs, so slightly different. But man, like just some of these picks I'm looking at, and and for me, it's it's just like you could have done better with that. One thing that I thought was really funny though is how they trolled the Leafs with the Alex Kerfoot thing yesterday. I thought that was that was pretty brilliant. So as much as I don't like the Kraken because I'm a Canucks fan and I can't like the Kraken, uh, I did like how they're already on board with the trolling the Leafs train, which uh, everyone in the league can can get on with a bit of that. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny too, actually. Uh, obviously, they must have taken done a couple of takes, but yeah, I thought it was pretty funny that that video leaked and... Uh, everyone assumed that they were going to be taking Kerfoot, but surprise, surprise, they went with Jared McCann. Some, who do you find like, so there's teams like Philly and Minnesota and there's, there's quite a few teams that I'm, I'm surprised by that the picks are, or that they didn't pick. Like what's a team that really surprises you, uh, or, or a player that surprises you from the team, uh, that they selected? Oh, uh, well, again, for me, like I, I, one of the big ones I thought was a little bit surprising was the Philly uh, pick, uh, just because they had guys yeah. that one of the things that looking at this team on paper, who's going to score goals for them, right? Like, obviously, Jordan Eberle is a goal scorer, but outside of Eberle, like they don't really have a really good goal scorer. Like Yanni Gord's a hell of a player, but I don't think he's a number one center. And so you think, you know, when you had guys like Jacob Voracek or van reamsdyke available to you and you pass on both those guys to me that's a bit of a surprise and then you brought up max domi as well as a guy that you know he struggled the last year year or two in columbus but you know he's a guy that does have offensive ability and offensive talent and you know he could easily have slotted in to be your number one center but right now they just they don't seem to have that firepower up front yeah i mean they have a couple of guys up front, Yanni Gord and, and, you know, Jordan Eberle, like that was a pick where I had Josh Bailey. Um, but again, you're kind of interchangeable and some of them, you know, Kelly Yarncock instead of uh, Colton Sissons, that was another one. Um, the New Jersey one really surprised me. I thought Will Butcher maybe on the back end could be a guy that brings in something on the power play and maybe they didn't like his 3.7 million cap hit. And some of the teams like the, the Rangers and the stars, they just, they just had nothing. Like there wasn't really much there, but I am surprised that they didn't bring in more offense. Um, speaking of offense with Cole Lynn, do you think he provides anything to this forward core or do you think he's going to be a guy who struggles to make the team and maybe ends up on waivers again? Cause he is now on a two way deal. Yeah, Colin's interesting. I mean, looking at the forward group as it is, I mean, I do think he has a chance of making this team. That being said, is he ready to be an everyday NHLer? I don't know. I mean, I know some Canuck fans were penciling him in on the fourth line heading into next year or at least being your extra forward person who could jump in when needed. Lynn, the one thing I will give him credit for is he's one of those guys that he's always kind of proven people wrong 
I know his first year in Utica, he really struggled. And I think there were some concerns and some thoughts whether or not he was actually even going to be an NHL player. And then he came back with a vengeance and had a really solid sophomore season in Utica. And he's one of those guys who, in the offseason, he realizes what he needs to do to work on his game to be better. And he's done it. So I will be interested to see how he comes into Seattle training camp and if he is going to be one of the last uh, guys fighting for a spot in the bottom six there. I do wonder if he goes on waivers, if the Canucks put in a claim for him. I I could see them doing that. They don't have a lot of guys right now who can play in Abbotsford um, as well. And I mean, again, I'm not saying that, I mean, if the Canucks pick up Lind, he'd have to clear waivers again. So he could be getting stuck in this this bubble. But um, kind of on a side note, the Canucks do need to look at what they're doing with the uh, the Abbotsford Canucks team and hey that's something that's happened since our last episode too Doug is uh we're the Abbotsford Canucks what do you what do you think about that yeah I don't love it I mean I'm okay with it I think there's a some precedence there with it but uh I'm not the biggest fan of it I find it to be very uninspired uh, I do like that they're using the Johnny Canuck logo, but even then, it's just like it, they seem to just throw the colors and the logo on a jersey. And I, you know, I do think they're going to refine that jersey and refine that look in the next three, four years. And I think it'll be more of a sharp, dialed-in jersey. Uh, it, it's kind of boring. But you know what? I'm happy that we have a team in Abbotsford. I'm happy for the Fraser Valley fan base that gets to go and watch young Canuck prospects play there. And I'm happy for the fact that the Canucks will have a farm team that's this close proximity to the big club. Yeah, I think they uh, they maybe missed an opportunity here with the name and doing something a little bit different. I mean, the Canucks already has branding. Uh, it, the only advantage is that they can do different jerseys. But even then, like... I saw a great mock-up of the Johnny Canuck, but with uh, the black, red, and yellow colors. And I was like, that that's kind of cool. And especially because, you know, you had the heat there before. It kind of had some colors like that. Like, using the Canuck's name and the Canuck's colors, even though it's Johnny Canuck, I think I think it's a little bit of a missed opportunity. I would have liked to see something more alliterative, like the Aces or the Aviators, or something that kind of plays on the history of the Abbotsford Air Show uh, as well. I thought they could have done something with that, but... Whatever, I can live with it. Well, I, I, the, and again, the most important thing is, is having a team out in Abbotsford. Um, going back to Seattle and everything going on, um, uh, it's, it, it, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, we've we've got a rival now, but I am really curious to see what they do uh, with, with all these guys. And, and it's just, it, it feels like, uh, there, there's obviously something we don't know with with this whole team, but I'm, I, you know, you, you talked about offense a little while ago, uh, and I'm looking at like what their first line is. Maybe as like Everly Gord and Donskoy, I'm like, you know, that's okay. And then maybe you have like McCann and Yarncock and Appleton, but you're you're right. Right now, there's some holes in there. Uh, I'm curious to see. Uh, what they do if it's if it is bringing in some big names, uh, bringing in some guys through free agency, um, but yeah, you know, like uh, the Tarasenko one. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not. I, that's a guy that I I was never as big on Van Riemsdyk. Uh, again, not at those deals. Uh, the guys in Nashville, Johansson and um, um, what you call him, Deshane. Uh, those are contracts I wouldn't touch. And Ron Francis has said since day one, he, the most important thing for him right now is cap space. And he is going to weaponize that one way or another. Uh, I'm really curious to see what he does and if he takes on some deals. And uh, yeah, the Braden Holtby situation is, is one that comes to mind. I don't know if if with what they have in there right now, they got Dredger and, and, and Vanacek. So, I mean, I, I don't know if they'll bring in a guy like Holtby, but... Do you think Holtby is going somewhere? Do you think that uh, there's been rumblings that maybe Boston is looking at Braden Holtby? Do you think he, at this time next week, we sell Braden Holtby on the Canucks? Uh, I don't. I think there's a lot of smoke and fire with the Holtby situation. I can see him, depending on what happens, if the Canucks have to retain a little bit of salary, but are also getting an asset back. But I do think there are enough teams out there that are looking for a solid backup that if ever anything did happen to their number one goalie, a guy like Holpe could easily jump in and uh, be a solid backup for them. And he does have name cachet around the league still. He is a Vesna Trophy winner, Stanley Cup winner, and there seems to be quite a bit of interest in his services. And I think the Canucks should be able to parlay him into something, whether that's a player with 
a similar cap hit coming back so that you're not really saving money, but you're using him to fill another need uh, in your roster, or you are able to kind of dump hit the majority of his salary and use that money in free agency to fill another roster spot. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I'm not as big on the retaining salary model just because then you still need to bring in another goalie. Um, so I don't know if that helps the team as much, but uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what they can do. Uh, I would I would move them out. Again, it's salary space. They need some salary space right now. Uh, I would be very curious to see what they can get for him in any sort of trade. Again, moving him for a pick and then bringing in a goalie if you're not retaining any salary, that, that's a good move for the team. Um, but I, I'm with you. It sounds more and more like, I'm, and I am kind of surprised by this, but there is uh, there are quite a few teams that are interested in Braden Holtby, and I, I hope that you know his turtles get across the border okay if he's if he's going south again. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure everyone in Vancouver is very concerned for for his turtles, and you know I, I am too. So uh, that's my only real. Hopes and thoughts is that uh, that that situation is taken care of this time, um, but then it's uh, who who's the backup goalie? It's not going to be Mikey DiPietro. You got to bring in, I think, another vet on a one year deal. But you can get someone who's a lot cheaper than uh, Braden Holtby and uh, and what he's costing you. I think what what's Holtby's cap at like four point two. I think you could get a backup goalie for probably one point five. And again, there's some money that you can use. The Canucks need to be kicking tires at anything they can right now to free up cap space this year. We all know next year it's a much better situation, but they still need some help this year because uh, that blue line is not going to cut it even in a weak pacific division yeah a guy that i think could be a serviceable backup on a cheap deal for the canucks is uh james reimer i think he's a guy that could be a perfect backup to um demco and and again this is all provided that they're able to move holpe out uh but he's a guy that i think you can get right at that one and a half million dollar range for maybe a two-year deal or three million over two years kind of thing um he would be a guy i would be looking at and uh yeah, I do think the Canucks are going to be able to move Holtby, but whether that's at full salary dump or you're getting a player back that's on a similar salary but filling another need, I think that will be something that happens. I really do. Canucks do have a history of former Leafs goalies. I, I know I said last episode former Leafs forwards they do, and that's not quite as successful. But former Leafs goalies, they've had a bit more success. I always liked Andrew Raycroft when he came over here. Felix Potvin is a bit of a, hey, whatever. But I think Reimer is, is the is the perfect example of a guy who I think could work just as adequately as Holtby but save you $2.7 million in cap space. So for me, uh, if you can do something like that and get a sixth-round pick for Holtby, but get all the salary off the books, by, by all means, do that. Hey, we also have, and we talked a little bit about it at the start of the show, but we have the entry draft coming up on Friday, and where I'm going to be trying to run to the pub in Port Renfrew and, and see who the heck the Canucks picked on day one. Who do you think the Canucks are going to pick, Doug? Do you have a, a player in mind that you think is going to be available at number nine that they should be able to select? Yeah, I really think the Canucks, and again, I don't think I'm going outside the box at all with this, but I really think the Canucks are going to end up picking a guy uh, like Kent Johnson. He, to me, is a guy that most mock drafts have him going ninth overall. He's a local kid. He's got insane mitts and really really great skill he's not the greatest skater but he might have some of the pure highest upside as far as pure offensive talent goes in this draft um but he just doesn't have the skating ability quite yet but he's a guy that i think the canucks are going to pick at ninth overall personally the only other person that i think might be there for the canucks and he seems to be falling farther and farther in most draft boards is luke hughes I, I think Johnson, a lot of people have really come up to, or warmed up to him in uh, Vancouver scenes. Local kid as well, out of Michigan. And, you know, the Canucks uh, like drafting guys out of Michigan. Luke Hughes and Will, or Luke Hughes, Quinn Hughes and uh, Will Lockwood, both Michigan products as well. I would be really happy with Kent Johnson there, uh, a skilled center, smaller frame. But again, I, I think that emphasis on those smaller or can't not being able to draft smaller frame guys i think that's a bit of an old school model um the guy i'm thinking right now uh i i think there's a chance johnson may actually creep up in the draft i know some boards have him as the number three north american skater um i'm gonna say mason mctavish uh again a center um 
I, I just think that the what we've seen lately and, and with a lot of draft classes, and especially with this year, I think defensemen are going to go higher. And as much as I would love a Luke Hughes, and I think everyone in Vancouver would love Brant Clark, I don't think they're going to be there. I think the Canucks are looking at a forward, and uh, I think Mason McTavish, Kent Johnson, I think those are two pretty good options. Uh, friend of the show, uh, Leif Rowling, shout out to Leif. Uh, he's really big on Cole Sillinger. I'm not sure if the Canucks are going to go a winger, but if they did, uh, Cole Sillinger, another guy uh, out of the USHL that I think could be a really good fit in NHL alumni as well. If he does anything like Mike Sillinger, his dad, he could be a, a pretty good fit with his team. Um, I, I, I do think regardless, though, that there's going to be a good player available at nine. So are we both on board with thinking that the Canucks hold on to this pick? Yeah, I think so. I think Jim Benning has pretty much all but said that they're going to hold on to the pick unless something outlandish falls in their lap, which I don't think it's going to. I think they have every intention to make the selection at nine, and I think they have every intention to use their second round pick on a player at the draft as well. It's going to be entertaining. And uh, again, I'm sorry, I'm going to miss this one with you guys. But uh, the West Coast calls, man, I'm, I'm needing to to get out to, to the West Coast of the island here for a couple of days. Um, but like I said, I'll be probably trekking over to the Renfrew pub there to, to get some Wi-Fi and see who the Canucks uh, have picked. One last thing that's kind of Canuck related, Doug, before we get into the free pour is Mike Gillis is back in the news this week. I mean, Mike Gillis, I don't think he ever left Canucks Twitter. We, we see him pretty much every day. But Mike Gillis, consultant with the NHLPA, uh, getting back into kind of where a lot of it started for him. Uh, pretty smart guy. Do you have any thoughts on this? Do you think this, uh, just at least in Vancouver, kind of quells any of these bring Gillis back as GM talk? Or what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think as far as the Vancouver GM role goes, that's out of the question. I do worry for the owners. I think the owners in the league are not going to like to have to deal with Mike Gillis in, in this uh, regard. So, I yeah, I am interested to see what happens there. I, I think he's going to be a really good ally for the PA, and I think the PA should be very excited to have a guy like him. He's probably going to end up taking over for Donald Fear in the not-too-distant future here. And yeah, congratulations to Mike Gillis. He's a very smart guy, and I think he's uh, I think he's going to do really good things for the NHLPA moving forward. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And so one more thing I actually wanted to touch on, not Canuck-related, but we didn't talk about... The, actually, you know what? There is a Canuck implication with this, but uh, Miro Heiskanen signed a big deal with the Dallas Stars this week. And the, the, the Canuck connection, of course, is that He's going to be one of these guys like Kale McCarr, who's forever linked to Quinn Hughes. There are for the rest of their careers, there's going to be comparisons with these three players. What sort of effect do you think that this Heiskanen deal has on Quinn Hughes? Do you think it's it's reflective of what the Canucks are looking at, or do you think that it's still more of a bridge deal that we, we maybe heard? What what do you think uh, about? Well, first of all, what do you think about the Heiskanen deal? What do you think about it affecting Quinn Hughes? Uh, yeah, I mean, I like the deal for the Dallas Stars. I, I think Heiskanen is one of the best young players in the league, uh, especially on the back end. Uh, I don't think this affects Hughes or the Canucks because the Canucks just don't have the cap space to sign a long-term deal, to sign Quinn Hughes to a long-term deal. Um, I think Kale McCarr, this affects him and affects maybe what Colorado will be looking to have to pay him. I would assume Kale McCarr will be close to the eight million per if not eight and a half if they're going long term so that'll be interesting uh but Quinn Hughes and the Canucks I I do think unfortunately we are headed to a bridge deal just because we don't have the cap space to sign him to anything pat beyond a four-year deal at least in my opinion so Miro Heiskin and for those that don't know it's an eight-year deal 8.45 million AAV uh, he's got a no-movement clause on the last half of that deal. Another thing that I found interesting about it is the only bonus he has. So it's a $67.6 million contract. Only $3 million of that is bonus, and that's paid out right at the start of his deal. So I believe he gets it right when uh, free agency opens is he gets his $3 million bonus. But the rest of it, it's a base salary deal. So that that's something interesting as well. I know that the salary bonuses have always thrown off buyouts and made things a little bit wacky. So uh, that that's kind of an interesting thing as well as the no movement clause for the last half. I don't think that's really a concern. I mean, 
it, the guys, I, like you said, I think he's one of the best young defensemen in the league, and he's going to be for a while. But the no movement clause the last four years that does take him into UFA territory, and that means that in order for Dallas to try and flip him, let's say they want they're not going to re-sign him, they're not going to be able to get any assets for him because uh, he's got the no movement clause at the end of his deal. So I, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. Um, I do think that Quinn Hughes is probably still looking at a bridge deal a three or four year deal um because he again that he's he, he has that extra year that he can get that Pedersen can't uh, but I do think a bridge deal still probably maybe six and a half uh I'd say for him I mean that'd be nice uh, if we can get him around there but um that's kind of what I'm thinking Quinn Hughes gets yeah, I think so too. I I I do think that Makar did set, or sorry, not Makar, Heiskanen did set the market for some of these up and coming uh, defensemen, especially on their second contract. Uh, before him, it was uh, I forget the guy in Ottawa, uh, who's the young defenseman in Ottawa, Shabbat. Thomas Shabbat. He was the guy that had that big contract as like coming in off his, uh, coming out of his ECL. And now Heiskanen just blew what Shabbat got out of the water as in terms of term and in annual average salary. Yeah. And Texas is also one of those states that have the good tax laws. So, I mean, Heiskanen is, is pre- pretty happy with us. He doesn't want to leave Texas with a deal like that. And maybe there's some thought process, uh, even from his agent, like, look, you might be able to get closer to nine, but staying in Texas and with that tax help, uh, that it's better for you to take the 845 and lock yourself up so that you're not going anywhere. Because he knows that Dallas isn't going to trade him in the next four years. So keep him protected for those last four years. Hopefully we see some signings for Hughes and Petey soon. But until then, Doug, let's take this into the free pour. Let's do it. All right, it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor. And this week, I just wanted to talk about Down Low Chicken. Uh, An amazing hot chicken spot on Commercial Drive. Uh, I've been there a number of times. Uh, the people working there are really, really nice. Uh, pro tip, call ahead and put your order ahead of time as opposed to waiting in that crazy line. Uh, and then you can just go to the pickup window and say what your name was. Um, but download Chicken Man, amazing, amazing Nashville-style hot chicken in the city. Uh, they actually, when I picked it up the other day, I got it. They actually did a really, they like graffitied my name on the bag, which I thought was really, really cool. Instead of just writing Doug, it was like all done in like graffiti style. Like someone actually took some time and effort to write it on the bag, which I thought was really, really cool. They also did a combination with another great fried chicken spot in Vancouver Juke. They kind of did a pop-up collab together, which I didn't get a chance to go check out. But a couple of my friends went and they said it was really, really good. If you haven't been to download chicken on commercial and Venables, do yourself a favor and get your ass out there. Great spot. I second that. Juke also great spot. And man, how East Van is that tagging your fried chicken bag? <laughs> I love that. Uh, I'm going to actually talk more West End style, my hood and uh, where I live. And uh, sad week um, with uh, for the Coyotes. Four were put down. Um, you know, I've, I've had a lot of Coyote encounters in the park, like quite a few, like 15 to 20 in the last year. Never a bad experience. They've always been really cool with me. But fighting a two-year-old girl is certainly going to get the public out there more and the Rangers out there more. And, and I get it. Um, really curious, though, like overall, like just what, what the mindset is with this, how this has happened, um, how the Coyotes just in the last year have gotten so active. Um, so kind of for me, it's, it's, it's a bit of a hobby and a curiosity. Um, and uh, the other animal that I want to talk about in, in the West End right now is the bald eagles. So this is something as well I've noticed in the last few years that the bald eagles coming more and more into town multiple times a day and the seagulls all freaking out as the bald eagles fly down and snatch baby seagulls off the roof. I'm fortunate that I can see this happening a bit from my place. Uh, I just feel like I need some David Attenborough something to, to narrate it because this is like this urban wildlife adventure of eagles versus seagulls and coyotes versus humans. So uh, David Attenborough that's my call to you. Get over here to the West End because uh, there's some pretty cool nature stuff going. Sad to see the coyotes go and I feel for the baby seagulls as well. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 82, just about in the books. Uh, Doug, I know we had some 
technical issues. We had some dog issues. Uh, we've had my mom's Wi-Fi basement issues. Been a tough one to get through, but hey, we've got through it. Yeah, just like we got through watching the expansion draft when we knew all the picks before the, the big <laughs> show tonight at 5 p.m. Uh, we made it. I was cool to see uh, Gary Payton and Sean Kemp there. I don't know if you saw the Marshawn Lynch pick too, which I thought was kind of cool. Marshawn Lynch is always pretty funny. Of course, they gave him an, a name like Kelly Yarncroak to try to pronounce, which uh, <laughs> I can only imagine. Uh, I, I had it on mute while we were recording, but I did record it because I do want to go back and kind of see some of those highlights. I can only imagine how Lynch tried to pronounce Kelly Yarncroak's name when they gave him the card. His face, and he looked over at Kevin Weeks like, what the hell is this? It was, pretty, it was classic Marshawn, classic Marshawn. I'll have to go. Yeah, I, I had it on a bit here, but uh, with, I, I got distracted and uh, it's, it's been in the background. But I'll go check it out. It is unfortunate that so much got leaked uh, as well. I think that was a bit of a missed opportunity. I'm really curious to see uh, what Seattle does. I know we talked about it a lot, but they've got to have a plan. they got to be up to something because uh, that roster isn't as inspiring as I think. A lot of people thought it would be. Hey, uh, one last thing with switching sports here. Milwaukee Bucks, man. Got to say congrats. How cool is that to see a team like the Milwaukee Bucks win the NBA championship after 50 years? And the fact that they won it 50 years later from when they've won the first title and Giannis had 50 points in that game as well. And just Giannis, I mean, is he not the most likable athlete in the world right now. Like, I can't think of He's anyone right who's... right up there. Exactly. Like, I, I, I can't think of anyone who's more humble and more likable than Giannis like he he's just incredible and the fact that he signed that long-term extension to stay in a small market like Milwaukee especially a league like the NBA where players always leave the small markets to go join and form super teams Giannis did it on his own and again you know he had a good supporting cast and guys like Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday and uh, Lopez, but yeah, the fact that he did it, and I have two really good friends who are from the Milwaukee area, and when they haven't been pulling their hair out this offseason with the Aaron Rodgers news, no news, uh, they finally had a smile on their face last night, the fact that Milwaukee won a championship, and Giannis is probably the best player in the world right now. Yep, certainly up there in conversation for best player in the world. Hard to argue after that Game 6 performance. That was the stuff of legends are made of in every sense. Um, echo your thoughts about him staying in a smaller market team like Milwaukee instead of going and joining the Lakers or the Nets or someone. And he may be the most likable person in sports. He's one of those guys that if you're not a Bucks fan, it's going to be hard for you to say bad things about Giannis. So, you know, congrats again to the Bucs. Uh, really cool story. Great to see some different teams going far in the NBA right now and, and winning it, not in building the superpower teams. So, hey, 50 years for them. Come on, Canucks. We're, we're looking at you, man. Let, let's let's get this going. We, we, we need, we, holy crap, we need one here. But we got to, we got to, gonna have a slow off season after a couple weeks here we can we can start talking about what the Canucks need to do anyways you can follow us online I'm at Pete underscore gas on Twitter check out our awesome playlist on Spotify as well the Canucks speakeasy outro playlist all the jams we use in the outros are on there um, it's a pretty awesome playlist give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks speak as always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.